Happy New Year, folks. Good to see you. Welcome to church. Great to see you here. If you're visiting with us, an especially warm welcome. Uh, My name is Pete, the pastor here at the church. Uh, It's great to have you with us. Uh, There is an information card in your seats, uh, which you're welcome to take a moment to fill in, and you can hand that in at the information point, and that enables you to keep in touch with us and us to keep in touch with you as well. It's an important month this month. As we start the year, we always take time to pray as a church at the beginning of every year. But really, this, this year, we really want to major in on the whole theme of prayer in what we're going to be teaching on. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're, we're going to be, just the Sermon on the Mount happens to be on prayer right now. That's where we've got to. So it's very strategic. And we're going to take time to look at what prayer is, and we're going to dig into that over the next five weeks. So come with us on that journey. And throughout that time, we're not just going to be learning about prayer, but I'd encourage you to be praying and make that happen in your own life. Uh, as you heard earlier, we've got prayer gatherings, 7 o'clock here on Fridays and 7 o'clock in Leith on Thursdays. So if you're free in the morning, even if it's just for 15 minutes on the way into work or half an hour or 40 minutes, pop in. It doesn't have to be every week. Come by when you can. Let's pray together as a church. And our reason for doing this is that we want to personally and collectively be positioned for all that God has for us in the year ahead. And that's what prayer does. It does something in us, does something in the heavenlies, and it enables God to do great things through us. So uh, let's pray together as a church. And also, the opportunity is there in in the month to fast as well. And uh, I know you all absolutely love fasting. Uh, So we get to start the year fasting. Uh, Fasting is an important thing to do. You know, I don't know the full mechanics of it, but when you fast, well, when I fast, I get in a zone. It kind of, I get into a zone of prayer. It makes me incredibly focused when I'm praying. It almost, it, it makes me very resolved, very focused. Uh, it removes the distractions. It's got an incredible way of focusing you as a person. Uh, but we're going to propose a type of fast that we want to th- encourage you to think about getting involved with. And some people call it the Daniel fast. Uh, the Daniel fast isn't abstaining from all foods. It's abstaining from uh, meat and certain other foods that you choose. So it's, it's being someone who just eats vegetables and fruit for the, for the month, has bad wind for the whole month. And then at the, but, but the good thing about the Daniel fast, and I'm going to be kicking it off on the, the 10th of January, and whoever wants to join me can kick off on the 10th of January as well. And we're going to go for three weeks on the Daniel fast, just reducing what you eat. I'm going to include in my diet for that three weeks, nuts and porridge, just to keep my protein levels up, my energy levels up. But apart from that, I'm not going to be having other fancy stuff. I'm just going to be, but it, the advantage of the Daniel fast is this. A total fast I can only do for, I did it once for seven days. My mom did it for 10 days once. Uh, I, I suffer big style. I can't concentrate. I get grumpy. I, I, you know, I can't work. I, it's so hard, total fast. I really do. But what I do find when I'm total fasting is I get into a zone. But with the Daniel fast, it keeps you in that zone for longer. But it's quite sustainable because you're still getting your energy levels topped up and so on. So that's why we're going to do a Daniel fast. So I encourage you, for as many of you as would like to, join in uh, from the 10th of January for three weeks. Let's take that time, focus in on God. Let me say, some of you, you shouldn't do this. If you are pregnant, if you are uh, bereaved, if you're liable to eating disorders, if you have uh, 
you know, if you're depressed or going through stressful times, you've got to really know where you're at. So don't, don't engage in fasting if it's not, you can do something else that will help you pray, but don't do that. Uh, it has got positive results. The Daniel fast is a fantastic detox, and you all need that because you had too much turkey. Uh, so it's a great detox for our system. Uh, it's actually very, very positive to you know, clear out your system from toxins and so on once, once a year. Uh, and you know, it's a good opportunity to lose weight. I, I really need to lose weight, as you can see. So, um, and just think about that. So the 10th of, 10th of January. The other thing I want to make you aware of, the resources area isn't available, open today, but throughout the month, the resources area in Gorgie, we're going to be ordering in different books on the theme of prayer. So if you want to take more time in your own time to read on up about prayer, you can do that. Uh, my friend uh, Dave, who has moved to Edinburgh, he wrote this little book called Try Praying. And this is a fantastic little book, and it's available at the visitor's desk for a pound. Um, and it's a seven-day prayer devotional. And the idea is, you take this, take, get it for pounds, take seven days to go through it. So it's a little devotional thing. You work your way through for seven days. And at the end of those seven days, give it to one of your buddies who doesn't usually go to church or who's not totally sure about God. And the encouragement is very simply, try praying. Why don't you just do a try praying seven-day devotional? And I, I think you'll find most people would be up for that. And as they try praying, they might just find God. So why don't you get one of these uh, as, you, as you go out? We've got about three, 400 of them. So uh, it's slightly quieter Sunday today. So there is plenty of them there for you. So get one for a pound. Take your time yourself. Seven days, go through it. Give it to your buddy. Impact the city. Invite them to church. Okay, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for the year past. We thank you that yet again you have been faithful, you have been true to your words, you've been good. God, it's great to get together with my family at the start of this year. And God, I pray that you would meet with us just now. God, I pray that by your spirit, we would encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I've got uh, two New Year's resolutions, folks. I'm going to be telling better jokes in my sermons. And that's not a joke. And I'm going to preach shorter. Totally will. You watch. You watch. You just wait and see, you cynics. Totally will. I think that was my New Year's resolution last year, but I really mean it this year. I will. Okay. <clears throat> there was a guy and uh, it's, it's a whole family. It was a nice, hot, sunny day. And they were out in the garden and they just got themselves a little kitten. And this was a beautiful little kitten, and they were wanting it to get some confidence. So they were trying to help it to climb trees and, uh, you know, just kind of get used to being up on its feet and so on. So they pop it up in a tree, and it started climbing up, and it was having fun. And then it got up in a particular branch, and it slipped, and it got wedged between a Y junction of a branch, and it was stuck there. So they were trying to get up and rescue this cat, but this little kitten, it was getting very distressed. They couldn't get to the kitten. It was just too far up. So the dad, he was a pastor, and being a pastor, they have phenomenal ideas, pastors, uh, he said, I know, I've got a great idea. I'll, I'll get my car and we'll tie a rope to it and we'll tie onto the branch and then we'll, I'll drive and we'll pull the branch down. So they did this. They got the car and uh, all the kids were dead excited and they tied the rope to the branch and they started driving. The branch was coming down and just before the kitten was at the point where they could reach the kitten, the rope snapped, the branch went and the kitten flew 
way off into the distance and they never saw the cat again. Anyway, that's the end of that story. A, a, week, a week or two later, the pastor was doing some visits to some local folks who come to the church. And that afternoon, he popped into one of the houses and there opened the door and there was a lady there said, hi, how are you doing? And he noticed in her hallway a little cat. And it says, cat. That's my cat. So he, he said he wouldn't, he wouldn't say anything about it being his cat. He would just say, oh, that's a nice cat. How long have you had that? And she said, oh, pastor, you've got to hear this story. It was a really nice sunny, hot, sunny afternoon. And I was in the garden with little Tommy. And little Tommy's been nagging me for ages to get a cat. And I said, no, we're not going to get a cat. I've told you so many times. I said, and he kept going on and on and on. So eventually, I said, you know what, Tommy? The only way you're going to cat is get a cat is if you get down on your knees and you pray to Jesus and ask him for a cat. And no sooner had little Tommy got down on his knees than this cat. <laughs> okay, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 5 to 6. You can tell me whether or not I broke my resolution there. This is Jesus. I'm all right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in synagogues and at street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their rewards. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus starts by saying, when you pray... He assumes we pray. Fact is, I don't know any human being who doesn't pray. I think it's one of the most natural things for a human being to call out to God, to pray, to worship. That's normal human living. Jesus said, when you pray, he assumes we pray. Research was carried out by populace. And in 2006, in the UK, they found that 70% of people believed in a God or some form of higher power. 44% admitted to praying once a week or more. 13% said that they prayed less than monthly. 8% once a year. The Teal uh, organization, the Teal Trust, in 1998 did a survey of churches nationwide. And overall, 35% of the 5,600 respondents in the, in the survey said they spent an hour or more in personal prayer each week. 93% believed that God hears their prayers, and 59% said that they had experienced God communicating with them when they pray. Um, Mother Teresa said this, prayer is simply talking to God. He speaks to us, we listen. We speak to him, he listens. It's a two-way process, speaking and listening. You could say that, I think it was Jonathan Edwards said that prayer is just like breathing is in life. So prayer is in faith. You know, you just got to breathe. You just got to pray. That's how essential it is. Jesus said, when you pray, but then speaking in the audience he was speaking to, there's a huge gathering of uh, Jewish people were there. And he's speaking to that Jewish audience. This Jewish grouping of people had allowed hypocrisy 
to slip into their prayer lives. You see, at that time, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus walked the earth, there was no nation as passionate about prayer as the Jewish people were. They were absolutely zealous when it came to prayer. And yet, into their praying and into their ritual had become hypocritical practices. And Jesus was challenging the hypocrisy of their spirituality. They had become people who maybe had started out good, as most people do, uh, in their faith, and maybe they'd slipped into hypocrisy. Maybe they had just got into a routine, become ritualistic, lost their cutting edge, forgot the real reason what it was all about, and fallen into hypocrisy. And Jesus was challenging this. So he said in Matthew Matthew 6, verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, stand and pray in the synagogues and in street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus says something very strong. He said, don't be like the hypocrites. The word hypocrite in the Greek language is uh, hypocrites, which means an actor on a stage who masks their real identity and assumes a role. They're not being true. They're pretending to be something that they are not really on the inside. That who they are behind closed doors is not who they are in public. Hypocrisy is acting in a lie instead of just telling a lie. It's you're acting out that whole lie. And Jesus said, don't be a hypocrite when it comes to prayer. Hypocrisy in any type is abhorrent, right? We hate hypocrisy. We hate it in others. We hate it in ourselves. But especially hypocrisy in the name of God. God who stands for truth. In his name, hypocrisy is the most ugly form of hypocrisy you can find. And Jesus challenges it. He says, don't be like that. You see, he's talking about people who appear to be representing God. When they're standing there as leaders, hypocrites, standing there in their synagogues or in the street corners, appearing to be representing God, and yet, in their heart, they're representing themselves. He's talking here about people who they seem to be interested in what God wants. They're appearing to be interested in God, and yet, under the surface, they're actually interested in what people think. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about sin and about hypocrisy. He said, we tend to think of sin as we see it in its rags and in the gutters of life. We look at drunkards, poor fellow, we say, there is sin and that is sin. But that's not the essence of sin. To have a real picture and a true understanding of it, you must look at some great saint, some unusually devout and devoted man. Look at him there upon his knees and in the very presence of God. Even there, self is intruding itself. And the temptation is for him to think about himself, to think pleasantly and pleasurably about himself, and really to be worshipping himself rather than God. That, and not the other, is the true picture of sin. The other sin is sin, of course, but there you do not see the very essence of sin. Sin is something that follows us even into the very presence of God. You see, no matter how sincere you are, you will have a tendency in those moments to be highly aware of yourself 
highly aware of what other people think. And yet, when it comes to prayer, we should be highly aware of God. Jesus says, don't be like a hypocrite. And he said, people who are like that, and they want people to notice them, Jesus said, they have received their reward. The Greek word there for the word reward he uses is mythos, which means a closed business transaction. Something, you've had a transaction and you've got a receipt for it. In other words, if you're the person who's praying in order to be seen by others to be praying, he's saying, well, do you know what? That's your reward. That's all the reward you're going to get from God. You've got your receipt. See ya. That's all you're getting from God. You're not going to get your prayers answered. All you got from that praying experience was the satisfaction of knowing someone saw me pray. You've got your receipt. Transactions finished. And that's tragic. And Jesus challenges in this. The challenge is this. Do you want men to hear you pray? Or do you want God to hear you pray? Do you want to be rewarded by man in that they see you and admire you for being spiritual? Or do you want to be rewarded by God who answers your prayers and does great things as you connect with him? See, the issue is nothing to do with whether you pray in public or whether you pray in private. That's not the big issue that Jesus is making here. He was making that point to the Jews because they had, they had a huge emphasis on public prayer. And he was challenging their attitude in the public prayer. But the issue is not whether you pray in public or in private. The issue is this. What's your agenda when you're praying? Is God your agenda when you're praying? Or are you your agenda when you're praying? And this was his challenge. And his anecdote was this. Could you pray as passionately by enclosed doors when all that is there is God? Would you be just as enthusiastic? Would you be just as passionate? Would you be just as stirred? Would you be just as eloquent? Would you be just as intense in your praying if it was by enclosed doors and only God saw? That's where you really are who you are. So this leads us to Jesus giving us the secret for our success. Verse 6, Jesus says, okay, this is how you should do it. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, who you are before God is the most important thing about you. Who you are before God will define you more than anything else in your life. Who you are before God reveals who you really are. When no one else is looking, who are you before God? Who you are before God is more important than what anyone else says or thinks about you. Who are you before God? That's it. That's so important. This is the secret to your success. Jesus, when he says it, he said, you, you pray. He said, you pray to your Father. Jesus revealed God in a way that no one else had. You know, the Jews understood every so often they referred to God as Father, but typically the references to God was uh, some distant deity that they, it was unapproachable, too holy to be approached. Many people view God that way. 
like a power, a force, impersonal. But Jesus says when you pray, you pray to your Father. He's talking about not a force. He's not talking about some great power, unapproachable, intense, anti-you. He's not talking about, he's talking about a Father who can be known. He's talking about a Father who has a personality. He's talking about a Father who has a heartbeat. He's talking about a Father. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, you pray to the Father. Now, we know and understand that the absence of a father in a human being's life is, has devastating psychological impact on us, humanly speaking, right? Just our earthly dads. If you've had a good earthly dad, that empowers you hugely psychologically for your future. If you've had a naff earthly dad or an absent earthly dad, it damages you, it scars you. But here the Bible says you can have a father who is God and you should pray to your father. And I believe that we are called to have a relationship with God, not a, not a belief in a distant God, but a relationship with an alive, awesome, huge, colossal, awesome God, yet he's your father. And when you have that relationship with your father, that father can heal the wounds, psychologically speaking, of the absent earthly father that you didn't experience or the abusive earthly father that you had. That father can all of a sudden start to parent you and lead you and guide you and build you up and change your life to the point where, psychologically speaking, you become so whole, so healed, so strong because of that father that even the scars of the earthly dad in your life are healed and are no more because of the reality of the impact of the heavenly father in your life. That's true, and that's real, and I know that's been the testimony for many of you, and it can be your testimony if that's your absence and lack in life. You will never be satisfied as a human being until you know your father. There's a story in Spain of a, of a father and a son, and the son had run away from home. Uh, he was called Paco, very common name at that time. And the, the father was heartbroken. The, the son had done something against his father and he ran away from home and the father was heartbroken and he did everything he could to try and find his son in Madrid and he couldn't find him. Until eventually he wrote an article in the, in the, the main newspaper in Madrid and he said, Paco, please come home. This is your father. I forgive you for everything you've done. I love you. I want you to come home. Please meet me at noon the, this Saturday in front of the, the, the headquarters of this new newspaper. Anyway, that Saturday arrived, noon came, the father turns up, and there at the door of the newspaper was 800 Pacos. <laughs> A lot of people looking for that kind of forgiveness. The incredible news is this, your heavenly father extends to the human race utter forgiveness. The problem about humanity is this, is that we've become estranged from our Heavenly Father. That's the problem. And you think the damage comes, psychologically speaking, when a human being doesn't have a good relation with his earthly father. Do you want to know what's even more devastating than that? Is if a human being has no relationship with the Heavenly Father. That is, has eternal consequences. That scars far deeper than any human scar could cause. That's, that is, that is the magnitude of that is colossal. If your outward relationship with God you're in a lost place in life. 
And you'll never find satisfaction until you come into a relationship with your Father. And that's what Christmas is all about. And that's what Easter is all about. And that's what life's all about. That God's, in His love, reached out to the human race. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And as Jesus died in that cross, He died to reconcile the human race to the Heavenly Father. He becomes our means by which we can reconnect with the Father. He died in your place. He paid the price for all the sins that you've committed. So now God says, please come home. All is forgiven. You can be saved. You know that Jesus reveals God as Father to the world, right? And typically, see, we believe God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yeah? And Jesus is God the Son. And typically when God the Son referred to God the Father directly, on every occasion he said, Father, every occasion apart from one. Now when he talked about God, he said God. But when he talked to God, he said Father, apart from one occasion. The only time that God the Son referred to God the Father as God in speaking directly to him was on those dark moments on the cross. The Bible says in Mark 15, 34, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, not Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For one dreadful moment in all eternity, the eternal union that had been between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, was separated and interrupted for one defining moment, where on the cross, the sin of the world, your sin, your brokenness, your perversion, your attitudes, your monstrosities, your, your abhorrent mentalities that I have as well, was placed on Jesus. And in that moment, he became your sin. And in that moment, a separation took place between the Father and the Son. And he was separated from the Father so that we could be reunited to the Father. He was judged in that moment with the judgment that we should have got. He paid the price, the price that we should have paid, so that we, instead of being separated from the Father, could know Him as Father. That's incredible. In that moment, the only time Jesus referred to God as God was on the cross, so that you should never be able to refer to Him merely as God. But you could now refer to Him because of Jesus as Father. In fact, Romans 8 goes further. Romans eight fifteen to 16, it says, you have received, when you come to Christ, when you accept what Jesus did for you, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry, Abba, Father, Abba, not the Swedish rock band, but Abba means daddy in Greek, daddy, daddy, exclamation mark, Father, exclamation mark, it's a cry from your heart. It is the hallmark of someone who's accepted by God that deep within you, there will be a natural cry to God that doesn't call him God, but it calls him Father. You know, you want to know if you're saved or not? People get all caught up with that. The biggest reason you can know if you're saved or not isn't whether you could figure out, did I do that? Did I not do this? And you're trying to go on all these, playing these mind games. No, no, forget that. Is there within you from deep within your spirit, a cry that says, you're my father. And I tell you, I, I play mind games myself sometimes. I, oh, 
how can I do that? I'm a Christian. How can I be that way because I'm a Christian? But deep within, throughout it all, there's a cry in my heart. My dad and I love you. The hallmark of an authentically saved person. He was separated in that moment on the cross so you could be reunited. And Jesus says, when you pray, go into private and you pray to your father. What a privilege. Then he goes on and says, your father who sees in secret. Now right here is the motivation for our praying. Why do we want to pray? Because God sees. Right here is a certainty when you're praying. There are lots of uncertainties when you're praying, right? I don't understand everything when I'm praying. I don't understand why things don't happen this way. I hope and some things happen this way. And I don't understand that. But one thing is clear. This is a certainty when you're praying. God sees. That's your motivation. And that's your certainty. God sees. No matter how silent he appears, he sees. And notice it's interesting. It says God sees. It doesn't say God hears. You'd expect the, the, the verse to say, you know, when you get to God and you pray your prayers, that God hears. And he does hear, right? But he says God sees. That's interesting. And I, I think what it's saying here is this, that while God could hear your words, he sees past your words. He sees your heart. He sees what's going on in here. See, words are just words, but it's what's going on in here between you and God in those interactive moments is the vital thing. It's what will make the difference between the answered prayer and the unanswered prayer. God sees. What's the difference between the person who prays in public and Jesus said they're a hypocrite and they have received their reward and that's all they get? And then the person who closes the door and gets before God and prays those prayers and gets the reward. What's the difference? Attitude. That's the difference. It's nothing to do with whether you pray in public or in private. It's everything to do with attitudes. God sees your heart. And this is what the Bible's saying. God sees. Let's go back to those verses in 1 Samuel 16. I love these verses. and I've touched on them a few times in the last month. This is where God chooses a king. It says, 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 and verse 7. Now the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel was a prophet, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. And I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. And then it goes on and says in verse 7, God sees, not as man sees. A man looks at their with appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, here was God in a, an important moment in Israel's history. They had their first king, that was Saul. And really, that was the people's choice, not God's choice. And now God was saying, okay, do you want my choice? I have selected a king. So the question is, if you're going to make a selection of a king, what would the qualifications be? What selection process would that king go through? Well, according to God, what God saw in David that made him God's choice was a heart. God saw something in David's heart that was so great that God says, that's my choice. God sees your heart. 
And that's so important when you come to pray. This is the difference between the person who gets no reward when they're praying and the person who gets reward when they're praying. Heart. I love the book of Psalms. Or Psalms, if you can't spell it. It's full of prayers. It's full of David pouring out his heart to God. It's full of, it gives you a glimpse into this man's heart. I think Psalms is there partly to, to let you see what God saw, right? God saw David's heart. Now, reading Psalms, you can see David's heart. You can say, wow, look at that heart. <clears throat> look at that passion. Look at that man's authenticity. Look at his anger. Look at his emotion. Look at his uh, heights of joy and the depths of despair. Amazing. And in Psalms, I, I love this verse, it says, uh, in Psalm 62, verse 8, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. You know, sometimes you just need to be able to talk to someone about something in private, right? Sometimes you just need to be able to pour out your heart to someone in private. And David was the kind of guy who did that with God. You need to be able to pour out your heart to God. You need to be able to tell him your secrets. He knows them anyway. But he's looking for an authenticity with you. He's looking for an ability to relate with you. He's looking for you to pour out your heart to him. David did this. David poured out his heart. He poured out his worship. He poured out his adoration towards God. This man's heart was alive before God. That's what made him God's selection of king. The fact is, some, you know, we all need the ability to be able to pour out our souls to people, right? And that's good. And we get comfort from confiding in someone. And that's good. You need good confidants. You need good people who can, uh, you can trust when you tell them something about your life. You need that. But I tell you, if that's all you've got, and you, and you find no comfort from pouring out your heart to God, then really God isn't that real to you, is he? If God was real to you, you'd find deep comfort when you pour out your heart to him. That doesn't exclude you from pouring out your heart to people as well. But God being real to you, you will find the biggest comfort. And David did. God was his source. I read this uh, in Galatians, and it really struck me. Galatians 4 verse 9. Now that you know God, or rather are known by God. It's interesting, isn't it? We talk about knowing God. But here Paul gives us a bigger reality. Yeah, you know God. But here's a bigger reality. You're known by God. God knows everything, right? He's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows every detail about your life. But here the Bible gives you an insight that there's something about not just God knowing about you, but he relates to you. Yeah, see, I could know my wife or I could really know my wife. You understand? And God wants to know you. God wants you to know him. God wants to be in a relationship. And that comes in the heart. After I pray with my kids at night, uh, I'll pray for them, lay hands on them, and then I'll get them to pray back, and, and they'll talk to God about stuff. And then what I do is I switch off the light, and I say, now, now son, as I leave this room, I want you now to talk to God about tons of stuff. I want you to talk to him about what's in your heart. I want you to talk to him about anything you want. You just talk to God and say thanks to him, and worship him, and you talk to God. And the reason I do that it's because I don't want them just to be praying to God when I'm there because they might want to say things that I want them to say. I, want, I, I don't want that. I want them to have an authenticity in private when it's in darkness as they're lying there, the light's out, the door's closed, they're about to go to sleep and their last thought is God and they have an authentic moment with God when dad's not there 
and they're authentically connecting with God. We see Jesus did this time after time. It says in Luke 5, verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This was Jesus' practice. God the Son prayed to God the Father on a regular basis. And look what happened in those moments. John 5, John 5 19. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. In a similar way, Jesus said in John 8:28, I do nothing of my own on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. Here Jesus was saying this. He made a priority time every day to get time aside with the Father. And in that time, he heard. He saw. That day was not a surprise to him. He was ready for it. There was a preparation in his soul for all that lay ahead in the hours that were to come. The challenges. How is it in the moments when the Pharisees brought the the hard-hitting, challenging questions to trick Jesus? How was he so ready? He was prepared. You need to take time before God. Do you know what? God does not bless hard work. He doesn't bless hard work. He blesses commanded work. And here Jesus heard the will of the Father and did that. And many people are caught up in Christian circles, in this church, in serving. You're chasing your tail. You go, 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 go. God doesn't bless hard work. God blesses commanded work. Are you doing what you were born to do? Are you being the person that God called you to be? That's hard work's goods. Proverbs says that. But hard work alone isn't what gets blessed. Commanded work gets blessed. Do what God birthed you to do. You need a connection with him. You need a live connection with him where you hear, and then you move out on that. Stephen Covey, uh, who's the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, in chapter three, which the chapter was entitled First Things First, he says this, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. Do you make time for God in your life? John Bunyan said this, I can do more than pray, so you can do more than you pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than, you, more than pray until you have prayed. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, I have so much to do today that I should spend the first three hours in prayer. It's just reverse psychology, isn't it? But, but he really meant that. And if anyone achieved a lot, Martin Luther did. There was two woodcutters uh, in the Canadian forests. And that day, they turned up at work, and they had a quarter of logs to cut. And so they got to work nine o'clock. They just got going. And then the, mid- midway through the morning, a bell rang, and that signified mid-morning coffee break. One of the workers decides, you know what, I'm going to go have my break. And he took his axe and went off and had his coffee break. The other guy said, no, I can't afford to take time out. I've got to keep going. I've got to get my quarter of logs. And he just keeps chopping. Um, Fifty minutes later, the guy reappears and starts going again, so they're both chopping. Lunchtime comes. The bell rings. 
The same guy says, do you know what? I, I, I can't afford to take time out for lunch. I've got to get my quota of logs. It keeps going. The other guy says, you know, I'm going to get my lunch. And he takes his axe and goes off for lunch. An hour later, he reappears. <clears throat> and then they're both chopping in for the afternoon. Halfway through the afternoon, coffee break, bell rings. The same guy goes off, has his coffee break. The other guy says, no, I can't afford to stop. I've got to get my quota of logs. I've got to keep going. Anyway, end of the day, five o'clock. They stand back and look at what they've done. Amazingly, the guy who chopped all day long without taking a break found he had a fraction of the logs chopped that the guy who'd been taking all the breaks had got. And he said, how did you do that? And the guy said, you know, when I was having my coffee, I was sharpening my axe. And while I had my sandwiches for lunch, I was sharpening my axe. <laughs> you see, you could just go, 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 go right through this life and life could just go whoom, right by you. Or you could connect with your father in heaven. And your father who sees in secret could guide and direct you. And you could be living out of a commanded place rather than a hard working, make it happen yourself place. You could be led by God. You could be going by the current of God's spirit rather than in your own inertia. So what's our dream this year? I dream for us as a people as a community of believers in Edinburgh, is that we would be a God-centered and God-empowered community. That, that means that together we're something, but individually it means something as well. My dream for you guys this year is that personally you would have testimony after testimony after testimony, not what you've done, but what God has done in your life. I want you to be not self-made men, but God-made men and women. I want God to be your source. I want God to individually be the supporter of your life and the success of your life. I want that. I want that for you guys with all my heart. It says in Daniel 11:32 in the Amplified Translation, the people who know their gods shall prove themselves strong, shall stand firm and do exploits for God. I want you folks to know God experientially this year, not just theoretically, not just knowing some facts and figures about God and being able to answer questions about God or argue a case for God and know your Bibles and all that. I want you to know him experientially. I want the God of the Bible to be the God of your life. I want the testimony of the Bible to be the biography of your life. I want you to see the stuff that God did in the Bible happening in your life. That only comes not by you piggybacking on my faith, or, or I've got to hang out with him because he's really strong in his faith. Forget it. You don't need someone who's stronger in the faith. You need a strong God in your life. You need to connect with him personally and walk with him and see him do the work in you and through you. The only reason you perceive someone to be strong is because you've seen God's success in their life because they've taken the time with God. So take the time with God. See his miracles happen in your life. I want you to know God experientially. I want the God of the Bible to be your God. My dream for you this year is this. I want you to know his leading in your family and in your life. That the decisions you're making, the choices you're taking are God-led choices, are informed choices. You're in the loop because you've listened to God. I dream for you guys this year that God would be your biggest motivator. God would be the one who would stir you more than anything else. That sure you're excited about what church could be. Sure you're excited about where your career could go. Sure you're excited about your family. 
But all these excitements, if that's all you've got, they're going to wane. You'll get tired. If God's your motivator, if he's your reason you're excited about church, if he's the reason you do family, if he's the reason you go to work in the morning, if he's your reason for life, if he's your source, if he's the one you've connected with, you will find motivation and it will not wane. You will not burn out. You will find sustenance. You will wait upon the Lord. You will renew your strength and you'll be his person. My dream for you guys is that God would do great things in you. God would do great things through you. There are dreams to be birthed. There are destinies to be lived. There are callings in your life that some of you have put in the shelf, but they were not meant to be lived, put in the shelf. They were meant to be empowered by God and lived through you. God wants to do great things in you and through you. And what looks great for you might not look great for you. It doesn't matter. Don't compare yourself. Be who God's made you to be. Allow the life and the blessing of God to flow through you. Don't put off life to another time and say, once I've got this or once this is there, live now. Live with God now. Pursue his purpose in you and through you now. My dream for you guys is that God would be the answer of your prayers. That you've prayed to your father who's in secret and the father who sees in secret would reward you. That those who need jobs, your testimony would be, it wasn't just because you did a great CV, it's because you did a great CV and your God came through for you. That those who need a husband and a wife, uh, God came through for you. Now, it's not that you didn't do anything. You really do need to do some things. But on top of everything else, God came through for you. That those who need a miracle, that God was the source of your miracle, you prayed that through and God came through for you. That those who need kids and you've been unable to have kids and you've been praying and looking to God, I pray, I would love to see God come through for you. Wouldn't that be a great testimony? Those who've got long-standing illnesses, that you've prayed and we've prayed with you and God's come through for us. It's not that we've read of other people's stories. You've got your own story in 2011 because you prayed and God did it for you. Those who are in jobs, but you know that you're ceilings, but you know God's got more for you and you're looking to God and God gives you promotion. That's what the testimony, I want to see testimony after testimony in your lives. There's a family member who doesn't know God and you've been praying for them. This would be the year letting God come through for you and answer your prayers. That's what I long for you guys. That those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits for God. That those who have had previously had a relationship with God and you've been passionate in the past, but now you fall into ritual and repetitiveness and it's become mundane and you're just going through the motions. That you'd wake up and you get going again and get pursuing your father again. And let it become fresh again and get going with God again. That those of you who have been shallow, you've been this deep, you've been coming to the services and you've been looking on thinking, yeah, I like this God thing and it's quite cool being here, but you're not deep. You've no connection with God behind the scenes. You're not going on with God. You're not pursuing God with all your heart. He doesn't mean the world to you or your life would be different, right? You're skin deep. Well, deal with that. Don't be a person who's a spectator of others living for God. You pursue God with all your heart. You only live once. Pursue him with all your heart. May that be our testimony as individuals. This year, collectively, we want to see God do more for us as a family. First of all, we want to be more of a family this year. So vital. I don't want just a big church. I want a big family. Big church doesn't change anything. It's like a football crowd. 
We want a family. We, and, and that's going to take each one of you to say, I'm going to be part of this family. I'm not just going to turn up on a Sunday service. I am going to personally connect with this family. I appeal to you. Please don't just be part of the crowd. Get to home group. Get to know people. You have so much you can contribute and you've got so much you can benefit from. Be part of God's family. And, but with that, we can change the city. It says this, Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, <clears throat> the builders labor in vain. Notice that with God building the house, the builders don't labor in vain. It's not that we shouldn't labor. We should labor. It's just that we shouldn't labor without God. We've got a part to play. God's got a part to play. If all we do is play our part, but God's not doing his thing, then we're laboring in vain. But we must work with him. I'm going to end with this verses in Acts chapter 2. And right here we see an amazing glimpse of what church community could be and what I dream this church community will be. Acts 2, 42 to 47. This is the early church. It says they devoted themselves. That's strong, isn't it? Devoted themselves. In a culture out there that doesn't devote themselves to much, right? In a low commitment culture, devotion is big. Well, if we want to see anything happen powerful for his glory and honor, it's going to take devotion, folks. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. Now look, that's, in a moment we'll look at what God did. But let's just look at what the people did first. They devoted themselves to different things. So first of all, before we look at what God wants to do among us, <clears throat> this is what we must devote ourselves to collectively. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means you're part of a network. It means you're, you're growing through teaching and you're not missing Sundays. You're coming to church. You're learning. You're growing in the messages of, and you're, you're gleaning from teaching. You're being led. And then it says, and to fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. And yet some of us here are just a crowd. You like the buzz of the big crowd, but you're not, you're not committed to each other. You don't know if someone else sitting next to you has got a need. What kind of church is that? None of us want that. We live once. We get one shot of this. We want to be community. We want to be people who say, I'm devoted to this person and that person. And that, no matter how uncomfortable I feel, to that person as well. And there's a community. They devote themselves to fellowship. They devote themselves to breaking of bread. And again, that's respecting that covenant relationship we have with each other. And to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Not just individually praying in their rooms, but collectively praying. Public prayer was a big deal in the early church. It's not that Jesus is against public prayer. It's he's against hypocritical public prayer. Public prayer is a big deal. So this month, let's pray together. Thursday mornings, Friday mornings, Leith, Gorgie, come to what you can. Fast if you can. You don't need to come to the official prayer things. Why don't you make unofficial prayer gatherings at your home? Or go for a walk with a bunch of you at lunchtime in Princess Street Gardens. Make prayer happen. Be devoted to that. And let's pray that, see what we're describing here? Let's pray that those testimonies will be our testimonies this year. Let's pray that this community will be us this year. Pray these prayers. 
They devoted themselves to prayer. And what did God do? It goes on and says, everyone was feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were performed. God wants to do miracles among us this, this year. I, I pray that God will do such incredible miracles among us. We've seen great things in the last year. God did great things last year. God wants to do great things this year. It says that they sold their property and possessions. That all the believers were together. They sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who had needs. This, this Christmas, you guys have done an amazing job. 200 odd hampers gone out. Many people's lives have been impacted. We were in the evening news recently because of it. You guys have really blessed the city. But you know, love must start in-house. It's good to love the city and we'll do that more. And well done. Let's also love in-house. That when you see need among you, that you're going out the way not thinking, well, the church will meet the need or the pastor will meet the need. You are the church. You are the people of God. You take initiative. You meet the need. Let's be that people of God. By this, Jesus said, will all men know that you're my disciples? By your love for one another. It says, God gelled them together. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's pretty big gatherings, folks. And they broke bread in their homes. That's small gatherings, folks. And they ate with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God. Listen, we need to have big gatherings and small gatherings. That's why we have Sunday services. That's important. But we also have home groups. That's also important. And I would encourage you, be, be part of this community that God is gelling that God would build us into a community. And it's not just the Sunday gathering. Please, prayerfully consider home group. It really is the backbone of the church, especially as the church is growing bigger and bigger. We don't just want a mass of people, and you don't want that either. And the way we avoid that is we've got, we break down through the week into home group, smaller groups where you have relationship, you have fellowship, you have accountability. You can grow in your faith. If you've used to be part of a home group, but you're no longer, please reconsider, reconnect. If you're a family and you find it hard to get to home groups, you get kids. Maybe one week the husband goes, the next week the wife goes. But either way, some, find some way around it. Make happen, because it's so important. Be devoted to these things. And then it says, and incidentally, see when it says they, they ate bread and had meals with each other? And, I mean, it sounds like a beautiful little family unit, doesn't it? It sounds like, I mean, just if you didn't know anything else, you'd think this is talking about 50 people or 30 people. You've got to step back for a moment and realize you're reading of 3,120 people in Acts chapter 2. And within several weeks of that, it was multiple thousands more. This was a big church. In today's terms, it's called a mega church. And yet, it sounds like a little family. There's an intimacy there. I don't believe big needs to mean unintimate. I believe we can have intimate and big, quality and quantity for the glory of God. And then it says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Notice the city was looking on. It was the city looking on saying these people who were devoted to God, these people who were devoted to each other, these people who were honoring God. And the Bible says they were enjoying the favor of all the city. Now the priests and the religious leaders hated the church just like they hated Jesus. And they wanted to wipe the church out and they wanted to persecute the church. But the common people in Jerusalem were looking on and they were saying, that's what life should be about. There's a community within the community. There's a city within the city. They're modeling life for us. They're the God people. They're the people who God is among. They're the people where the testimonies of God are. I want to be part of that. 
It's one of the most evangelistic, potent things we could be as a loving community of believers, modeling community within a city. And it says, listen, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. You know, I want that to be our testimony. I want you to have individual testimonies. And I want our testimony as a church is that God added to us. And it wasn't because we were so clever and we did good marketing and we did church cool. And we'll do all that because it would be unwise not to. But our faith is not in that. Our faith is in God. We trust in God. We want to be a God-made community. We want this to be the church that God made, the church that God built, the church that God established. And you're the people who God is among. You're the people who testimonies of God are seen all over your lives, that the provision of God is seen in your lives, that the source of your life, the source of your enthusiasm, the source of your strength is God's. You're a supernatural people, and God is with you. He's your Father. So God, we start this year, and we say to you, God, we want to be your people. We want to be your people. We don't want to be clever people. We don't want to be self-made people. We want to be your people, God. We want to be the people that you made, the church that you built. We want our lives to be lives that really could only be explained by the existence of an awesome God. God, we want to live lives that are commanded lives. We want to live as a community, God, where miracles are common. So God, we say at the beginning of this year, our vision this year is not ourselves. Our vision this year, God, is not to build something great for ourselves. Our vision this year, God, is you. And that's our personal vision. We want more of you. We want to know you, Father. And God, our collective vision is you. We want to know you as your people. We want you to be our source of success. We want you to get the glory among us by what great things you do. We want praise to go up to heaven because of the testimonies of God's working among us. God, get the glory. We want to be your people this year. Okay, what I want you just to do is the people you're sitting beside, I just want you to, in a moment, I want you just to turn to the person next to you. I want you to, you to get from them their name. Now, after you get their name, I want you just to sit quietly, put your hand on their shoulder, and they can do the same for you. And I want you just to simply pray for that person and ask that God would be their God and that God would draw them close. And this would be a year where they would walk with God in secret, that he would be the secret of their success this year. So just go for it. Just get the name of the person next to you, put your hand on their shoulder and pray that prayer over them.
God, we give ourselves to you. Answer our prayers, we pray. Thank you. You see our prayers, God. Thank you, Father. Okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity just now. If you're here today and you just know, do you know what? I'm not connected with God. I don't know God as my Father. Earlier I said, if, if you don't know God in that intimate way, really, you're so lost. You can know God. You can know Him as your Father. And this is all possible because of Jesus Christ, what He did for you on that cross by dying in your place and in His resurrection. He died so you could be reunited to the Father. He died so you could be forgiven. He died so you could have eternal life. So if that's you today, while everyone else is praying, and if you're here and you're saying, Peter, I want to know God as Father. I want to know Him. I want to be saved. I want to be God's. Then I invite you just to pray this prayer with me just now. Just quietly under your breath. Just whisper this to God. Let this be your heart's cry. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you that you love me with an eternal love. Thank you that because you love me, you were willing, Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for me so I could be forgiven, so I could know you, God. And today, I ask for forgiveness and I fully accept what you did for me on the cross. I believe, Jesus, on the third day you rose from the dead. I believe you're alive right now. I give my life to you today, God. I make a choice to follow you for the rest of my life. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Thanks for hearing my prayer, God.